The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Fascinating interviews and compelling conversations. Be present. The Diane Ray Show. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the show today. I'm Diane Ray. Thanks for joining me. As we're racing full force towards the holidays, this is actually my last live show of 2019. I can't believe it. <laughs> Where's the year gone? Oh my gosh. It's just crazy. And then looking forward to 2020, I remember when I was a kid and even thinking of the year 2000 just sounded so futuristic. And now we're in 2020. You know, my little 12-year-old self would just be freaking out at at what I'm doing right now. (laughs) So I'm excited, looking forward to the holidays, looking forward to 2020, and definitely looking forward to the conversation that I'm going to have on the show today. I'm very excited to welcome Mark Nepo to the show. And Mark is going to be on the cover of Unity Magazine in the spring issue coming up, the March-April issue. And I promised Katie Kuntz, our fabulous editor of Unity Magazine, that I would mention that because when I told her I was talking to Mark, she got very excited. And actually, the more people that I told I was talking to Mark, they all got excited. I got so many great comments and uh, responses and emails. And, you know, I just I didn't realize uh, Mark is is like a legend. So I'm really grateful that he's on the show today. And so many people have been moved and inspired by Mark's work. And, you know, I'm embarrassed to say that I haven't read his number one New York Times bestseller, The Book of Awakening, but the book is going into its 20th anniversary edition. Jamie Lee Curtis has written the foreword. And so, of course, I immediately pre-ordered this It's going to be released January 2nd, so you might want to check that out, The Book of Awakening. I'm really excited to delve into that. But Mark, I mean, if you're not familiar with Mark Nepo's work, his books have been translated into more than 20 languages. He's a best-selling author. He's published 22 books and recorded 15 audio projects. In 2015, he was given a Life Achievement Award by Age Nation. In 2016, he was named by Watkins Mind, Body, Spirit as one of the 100 most spiritually influential living people, which is pretty amazing. And he was also chosen as one of OWN's Super Soul 100, a group of inspired leaders using their gifts to elevate humanity. And Mark, in 2017, you started writing for Spirituality and Health. Are you still a regular columnist? Yes, I am. It's uh, Thank you. It's wonderful to be with you. Uh, thanks so much for having me. Well, it's, I mean, your, your accomplishments are amazing. I could just go on. <laughs> I could go on and on. Oh, well, but I wasn't, I wasn't sure you. if you were still a regular columnist for that magazine, but I wanted yes. to, yes, I to am. throw yep. that in so you can find Mark there as well. And today we're going to be spending some time with Mark's latest book that was released in September of this year from Sounds True called Drinking from the River of Light. The life of expression. So I guess I'm I'm doing things kind of in your your canon of work a little backwards because I'm reading this book first and then I'm really uh, excited <laughs> to dive into the book of awakening. So I'm, you know, I'm I'm doing things a little backwards, but but that's okay. You know, well, you can go I'm into really it in any any direction or any way. You know, <laughs> yeah, I can I can dive in at, at at any time in any place, right? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. 
well, I'm really enjoying this book. You know, it's very experiential. And this book is a call for anyone who's interested in exploring a life of expression. And that doesn't necessarily mean like you explain in the book that it has to be the arts per se, like writing, acting, or painting. Yeah. But it can also be anything, right? Like cooking or gardening or, or whatever gives you joy. Is that right? Well, yeah, and I think that, you know, to go way back, you know, um, in my 30s, you know, from my other work, I'm a long-term cancer survivor, and so almost dying in my 30s and still being here really changed and shifted my entire experience of creativity, and and so the heart of this book, all these years later, is, and, and the best way to kind of express it, which I use in the book, is to think about it the way we think about breathing, so you know, we, we have to inhale and exhale. We can't say, well, for this hour that we're talking, we'll only inhale. That's not going to work. And and likewise, the heart has to inhale and exhale. And the way the heart inhales and exhales, it inhales by perceiving and feeling. And it exhales by expressing those feelings and insights and questions and doubts and confusions and tenderness all on the other side. And it doesn't matter what form it uses to express, it has to breathe so that we stay vital and alive. So yes, it's not just the formal arts. Anything that we give our entire presence to, our wholeheartedness to, it could be gardening, it could be taking car engines apart and putting them back together, it could be stamp collecting. It really doesn't matter, so in that sense, you know, the words, in, in, for me, it's the inquiry and that space that writing opens that is really an ongoing conversation with the universe. And the words are the trail of that inquiry. And so what it's more important how it keeps us alive than whether we create something, quote, great or excellent. I love how you express things so that the prose and the way that you describe the creative process is, is really so beautiful. It's such a joy to read. Oh, I, thank I'm you. Really, I'm really <laughs> loving it. And really the genesis of this book came out of a workshop, a two-day intensive that you gave yes. at the 2013 and, and 14 Sounds True Wake Up Festivals. And really that's what it felt like. Like as I got into the book, it's like, well, you are a teacher, but you're you're there, like you're my teacher through the process of the book. So I, oh, well, I really am, am enjoying that experience. Yeah, thank you. And so, the, you know, the book did start there where at the, the Wake Up Festivals that uh, Sounds True did, and Tammy Simon, the wonderful Tammy Simon, the uh, founder and, and uh, head of the CEO of Sounds True, she had invited me to, uh, would I create a, an intensive two-day workshop, pre-festival workshop, around writing and spiritual growth. Well, you know, that was like asking a kid if they want to have ice cream, you know? I mean, I, I said, <laughs> yes. And, um, and so, and out of that, I did that for two years. And then that whole outline and all my notes and uh, really just stayed with me for a few years. And then I had another kind of file that I always have lots of bins building with things. And I had a file building of stories from different lives of artists, writers, composers, painters. And, um, and then another file that was about teaching. And so then I just threw all three of them together 
and then just listened to them. And they told me how they should go together. And that became the essence of the book. Well, it really feels like you're taking a workshop with you. So if anyone's listening out there and they're not able to actually physically be with you at a workshop, this is really the next best thing. So <laughs> I suggest people do this and start doing the work. And you say in the book that the reward for practicing a personal form of, of expression will help us to wake up to life. And do you think that most of us go through our day-to-day -day existence, we're, we're just kind of asleep? And even in the book, you talk about a veil that, that's kind of over, over well, our existence. I think that this is, this is something that, that happens. It's part of our incarnation. And like, there's nothing wrong with us because we experience, you know, sleepiness or numbness or veils. It's part of the incarnation that everyone alive has to face is, I don't, you know, at least my experience on earth has been that, you know, I don't, I'm not awake all the time. I'm not, you know, clear all the time. I'm not wise all the time. And so the question becomes, how do we wake up when we fall asleep? How do we get sensitive when we go numb? How do we feel clear when we're confused? And so one of the ways that we do that is through having an active ongoing conversation with life, which is through a personal form of expression. And so the reward for that is much greater than the artifact, whether that's a painting or a book or a piece of music or whatever it might be, that what that does for us in keeping us fully alive and restoring our, our basically restoring our sense of how rare it is to be here at all how rare it is, because when we can recover that sense of being here completely, then we make different decisions. We do different things. We hear things differently. So we're always kind of cleaning the window of our eye, our heart, our mind. And, and that we do that by, by staying in this conversation and finding what form does it best for you. Right. And I know that as I get older, you know, I definitely don't want to be asleep all the time. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to be more aware. And I think it's, it's definitely a practice. And maybe that just comes with, with getting older. And one, one of the threads that you talk about that I noticed throughout the book, you know, for allowing that expression to happen is that we have to allow space in our life and to let things flow and to let let things come up and, and happen. And, and we're in such a type A world that this is really a challenge, right? Well, yes, one of the challenges and, you know, these again, these challenges have been throughout history, but they're more acute in the modern world. And so what we're talking about here is, you know, we live in a, a filler up society, like at the gas station, filler up, you know, everything is more and feed and put, you know, like one experience isn't enough, let's have four. If I'm sight, if I'm traveling somewhere, well, the four places, let me visit six, you know, and so everything is more, more, more. But the, all the spiritual traditions in different ways, and all the creative traditions speak about that we have to empty ourselves to be able to receive. We have to empty out 
you know, we have to, I mean, one of the beautiful kind of paradoxes about being human is, you know, we don't, we, we do learn, we, we have wisdom and fear. And, you know, so these things, all of our experiences collect, but if we don't keep emptying them, they harden into assumptions and conclusions. And that, right. just like you have plaque that can form in the arteries to the heart, this is plaque that forms in the arteries to the mind. You know, it's, it's not, I, I, I don't know if it's every instrument, but I want to say almost every instrument I can think of, you might be able to think of one, I, I can't. Almost all the instruments I know, they are all hollowed out in order to make music. You know, that's an interesting point, (laughs) because if I think about that, you're right. Guitars are hollow horns. You know, reed instruments. Flutes. uh, Flutes, drums, you know, uh, string instruments, pianos, the the well of the piano. You know, so, so they have to be, there's a real teaching in that. They have to be hollowed out in order for music to pass through. So there's a story, there's a wonderful story. I think I use it in the book, I can't remember, or it might be in another book. But there's a story, you know, how two, two quantum physicists, and, you know, there's been discoveries that quantum physics uses a different language, but it has a lot of similar views of how things work as ancient Eastern philosophies. And so these two physicists wanted to travel to Tibet to meet with an old, old sage to compare and talk about all this. So they travel all this way. They go by plane, boat, Sherpa, lugging up mountain. And they finally arrive, and they're, they're in this little hut waiting for the sage to come meet them. And there's a table with three cups and a hot pot of tea. And they're waiting, and they're waiting. And finally, this old man shuffles in. And he doesn't even look at them or say hello, yet he picks up the tea, and he starts to pour the tea into one of the cups. And as he's pour, he keeps pouring, and the cup is full, but he keeps pouring, and it's spilling over the cup and going on the table. And now the physicists are looking at each other like, "Oh God, we came all this way, and you know he's losing it. Oh no, you know." And how do we say anything? And so one awkwardly, one of the physicists finally respectfully says, "Oh, uh, Your Holiness, the cup is full," and continuing to pour, without looking at either of them, the sage says as are your minds, empty them and come back, and then we shall talk. <laughs> That's great. That's great. I love that. <laughs> it, ma- it makes me think of another story, too. I think it was Lao Tzu about the wheels and the space between the spokes of the wheel is what makes yes. it useful, the empty space. Yeah, so kind of similar. In, that's in the Tao. It's either... I think 10 or 11 chapter where he talks about that it's the, it's the space, you know, it's the, you build a house, but it's the room, the empty room that you live in. Or he says that you, you make a pot, but it's the emptiness of the pot that feeds you. And then he says, yes, you take a wheel, but it's the hollow in the center of the wheel that, that allows it to turn. Right. In the spokes. And it's from that space when, when you talk about, you know, writing and coming from that space in the book, you say that you retrieve the poems that you write. And I thought, oh, that's so great. You retrieve it. So in a sense, you're saying that you, you just kind of let let things flow through you and work through you and you're just the conduit, right? Yes, I'm the conduit. And it means I still, I would, you know, I wouldn't go so far as to say I'm just channeling it. I'm participating 
but I'm not creating all of this out of nothing myself. I'm in relationship, in conversation with everything that's not me, with everything that's larger than me. And so, yes, I feel like I, so writing has really become listening and taking notes. I, I Would write you say, about, mm-hmm. oh, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, so writing is listening and taking notes. And I really have, I write about what I need to learn and often discover it on the way. And, you know, if I had only written about what I know, I would have written very little. (laughs) So you, would you say that we are, we live in a participatory universe? Like we have to, you're, you're not channeling it, but you're, you're participating in it and you're letting, letting things work through you. Absolutely. You know, so it's like the wind when it moves through the trees or through a willow, let's say, when you hear this beautiful rustle, you know, so the willow's not creating it. But if the wind, if the willow weren't there, it also wouldn't make that beautiful sound. So we are participating. Yes, we are a part of it. And I think that we're all meant to... uh, I think everyone is born with a gift and our job is to discover what it is and then let it be our teacher. And well, it I will think lead sometimes people to, to join and participate in the oneness of reality. Right. And it's so important. I was, I was just thinking, I think that sometimes people will either, either be lazy or fearful that they let things happen to them. Like I'm, I'm thinking of one friend in particular where, I mean, I can think of several jobs that I've, I've quit, you know, it's like, I can't uh-huh. do this. I'm not good at this. I'm done. And she seems to just stay in a situation until it becomes unbearable and then get fired. Like, like she kind of lets life happen to her rather than participate. Uh-huh. And I think, and I think that's, that's such a loss and, and it's so sad where you're letting things happen to you rather than participate in, in life in the universe. Well, I, and I think, you know, I would also say that old saying there, but for the grace of God, go, go I, is that we all, we all are, will experience, I feel, and I have, moments when we are just receiving until something either loving or difficult wakes us up. And other moments when we are more participating. So I would really, you know, offer that we look at that with compassion and not judgment because we're all capable of it. And, you know, when we're, it's always interesting, you know, until, until we find ourselves stuck in hesitation, we're, impa- we're impatient with people who hesitate. Until... Mm, right. Yeah. And, you know, until I, you know, I remember um, when I was younger, um, seeing someone in the grocery store, a very old person going so slow. And obviously they had some back trouble, you know, and I really felt for them. But I but also, honestly, I was getting impatient, you know, and um, and then, you know, somewhere along the line, like, I, I mean, I, I'm fine. I don't have any back trouble. But, you know, I tweaked my back and and then, you know, had a week where, God, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't move. Well, all of a sudden, that oh, now it's different. Now, now if I'm behind someone in line who's who's you know going very slow, I go and help them. 
<laughs> right. <laughs> That's a big difference, right? Our experience, and this again also comes from the life of expression, opens our heart and therefore deepens our compassion. And we have time for a quick call. We're going to take a break in, in just a minute. Uh, is it okay if we take a question? Sure. Yeah. Okay, let me go to line one, and we'll talk to Heather calling from Austin, Texas. And Heather, you're on the air with Mark Nepo. Thanks for calling. Hi, Diane. Hi, Mark. Hi, Austin. Austin. You're from Austin. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I, um, I'm in Austin. So uh, thank you so much for taking my call. I feel, first, Diane, congratulations on a wonderful year and your um, success with your radio show. And I'm so proud of you. And I'm excited oh, thank about you. this year. I just had to get that in. Um, <laughs> uh, Mark, I've had your book since it came out. And um, I am oh. in awe. Like, I can only read about three or four pages. And then sometimes it takes me several days to just assimilate. It's such beautiful writing. I am just oh, in awe. Thank you. Thank you. It's poetry in the form of prose. It's amazing. So, um, but I did have a question I wanted to ask you because it's had a very impactful um well, so I, I will say my, I, I do a bit of writing, but my main uh, creative process in the world is I'm a gardener by profession. And oh, I spend mm -hmm. a lot of time, like I find such uh, a correlation in your writing, like you have such an affinity for nature. And I so appreciate things and that you uh, draw your analogies and your stories around nature. Um, but this idea that you and Diane were just talking about, about the observation and attention and then the waiting and the, also the um, kind of removing judgment and allowing things to become is very essential for my work. Um, I don't like to call myself a landscaper because it sounds like I'm like carving the earth into uh -huh. submission. Instead, I'd much rather call myself a gardener in that I'm like nurturing um, like a sculptor would nurture out of the marble, the statue, yes. you know, I want to find the, the garden that's there or the regenerate the nature that wants to be there and bring back, you know, the, uh, the life that would also want to be there. But reading your book, and, and I do your exercises not so much as writing, but as my observation for the day, you know, so this idea of take attention and then wait. I think there's a whole chapter that is around Monet, which yes. is profound for me because I, um, that, that is, I'm also have dabbled in painting and that is my preferred style of painting. Like I'd rather see the resonance in the nature, not necessarily the articulated detail, you know, or yeah. application. Um, but anyway, my question is, do you ever find yourself, Mark, at a point where you're so, um, you feel like you just stop and rest in it. Like the doing seems to disappear and you don't even really know what there is left to do with anything because everything is so rich and beautiful. Does that make sense? That's a weird question. Yes, yes. So, so I, you know, I think my experience is, and that's one of the rewards of giving ourselves wholeheartedly to any particular life of expression. And that is that, the reward isn't that we produce something from it. The reward is that it enables us to join, inhabit 
and join with life so that we become what we're giving attention to. So yes, you know, I'm sure from your gardening and that nature is a great teacher of patience and that things take time. You know, think despite all the progress and I love technology, but you know, things that matter take time. They always have and they always will. And so I think that, that as I experience what you're talking about is that, you know, when I, when I sit down now and enter this space, like the space that you would enter in gardening or painting that I do when sitting with writing, I, I don't even really would call it writing anymore. And entering that space, this is how when we give ourselves over, we enter time and stop moving through it. So when I'm in time, which I can only do by opening my heart and holding nothing back, then it's those moments where we go, oh my God, did an hour just pass? How did that happen? You know, whether yeah. we're with another person that we love or we're by ourselves in nature or we're sitting down to write, paint, or simply sit and reflect. And yes, suddenly when we're that close to the pulse of life, there's nowhere to go and nothing to do. Mm-hmm. And, and yes, and, and then, you know, the, the whole thing that's so humbling is that by giving our all to try to create or express something, we are the ones that are created. <laughs> we are the ones that are expressed. Hmm. There's that's so, so much great. Of a focus. What you're saying is so beautiful. There's so much of a focus on what have you um, accomplished or how have you um, contributed? And, you know, even from an altruistic sense, how may I serve? That kind of thing. Yeah. But you're in this space where you're just kind of in awe of everything has already have been delivered perfect. Well, and then when we, part, when we contribute and serve from that wholehearted, in, lighted space, you know, Enlightened, enlightened, not en, but in, <laughs> enlightened space. Then we have more love to give. Then the kindness flows from us. And we're going to take just a short break. So hold that thought, Mark. And Heather, thank you so much for calling. I'm talking with Mark Nepo about his amazing new book, Drinking from the River of Light. We'll be right back. Stay close. Hi, I'm Reverend Linda Martella Witset with Silent Unity, reminding you that we are here for you during the holidays to support you with affirmative prayer and inspiration. From all of us at Silent Unity, we wish you a beautiful and blessed holiday season. Welcome back to Be Present, the Diane Ray Show. Thanks for coming back after the break. I'm Diane Ray. Welcome to Be Present on UnityOnlineRadio.org. Just continuing an awesome conversation here with author and poet Mark Nepo and talking about his latest book, Drinking from the River of Light, The Life of Expression. And I want to thank Heather, uh, my caller, in the last segment, just sharing her experience of how the book has really affected her and she's working through all of the exercises, very experiential. This book is, is fun. You want to spend some time with it. And Mark, at the break, we were talking a little bit about how you're teaching the 
material in the book, and you've got some workshops coming up that we could mention. Yeah, yeah thank you. So, you know, in addition, my website, marknepo.com, and you can find all where I'm teaching and speaking. But in addition to where I travel, um, I live in Michigan, and I also, one of the things I miss from teaching long-term at a university is uh, teaching with people over time, journeying with people over time. So I offer a couple of different kinds of groups for no more than 30 people, a year-long journey where people over a year, the same group would come back four weekends over a year around a journey that I have prepared. And so if anyone's interested in that kind of uh, that kind of working together. If you just go to my website, there's a whole link right on the homepage. It'll give you all the details about that. That sounds really cool. So they could work with you in an intimate group setting, you know, yes. not a hundred people, but something a little more, um, you know, a little more uh, intimate, which would be and great. Then, and then just like how we experience through the book, you know, we also uh, we also journey as a group of 30 people through life over a year coming back four times so it's a very intimate experience and this this one coming up which starts in march uh is focused on, on a year-long journey around this work around drinking from the river of light well in the in the book you know when people are going on this journey with you and, and hopefully if they get to work with you in person doing the workshops you know, you offer these great writing prompts and invitations at the end of each chapter that really allows people to go deeper. And I mean, honestly, like I'm not really a big journaler. I've actually been doing it a lot more recently where kind of I'll wake up and just jot things down in a little pad, you know, yeah. next to my bed. And it, it's been uh, it's been so helpful. And so some of the things I've been working on uh, with the writing prompts in the book you know, really brought up some great memories and, and feelings is really interesting. And I wanted to share one with you because I don't, sure, sure. I don't really read or, you know, do poetry or anything like that, especially on the air, but I'm going to do it. I'll bear, oh, I'll bear great. my soul to the listeners. Um, so one of the memories that came up was in the exercise of an invitation to know your creative force. And I, re I really like thinking about this because in, in talking to friends and I have people that say, oh, I'm not creative, I can't do that. And, and you really say that we, we all can, can access this. Like, I think it's something that we all have and, and we tend to discount it if I'm not a great painter or musician, then I feel that I'm not creative. But, but I think we really are. And so I dug into this one and I, I brought up a memory of where I acknowledged my creative force. So this goes back in the first grade we were giving an assignment to draw a picture of people in transportation. So most oh. of the kids in the class drew people in cars and planes and buses and things like that. And I drew an Eskimo in a kayak. Oh. And so I remember <laughs> the teachers were all exclaiming about this, like it was something special. And they said, oh, how creative you are to think like that. I can't believe you thought of an Eskimo. And this is so great. And, you know, just being in first grade, I was just so pleased with, the attention and I really, but I liked the feeling and the label of being called creative. And so I thought about it a little bit more kind of from that, that feeling of being in first grade. And then I thought, well, it has kind of followed me around throughout life when if I was in a job or a situation that wasn't creative, I wouldn't last very long. But even if I was in that job, I would try to be creative. Like when I was waiting tables in my 20s, 
I would try to be creative when I describe the daily specials. I would try to do it with like uh-huh. a flourish. Yeah. You know, and I remember one time the table actually applauded after I described the apple crepe with um, vanilla gelato that I even see, I even remember what the special was that uh-huh. or, you know, or I would write it out on the chalkboard at the beginning of the day and I would try to be creative. So I really, after I was working with that exercise, I realized that being creative has, has always been important to me, even though maybe I, I wouldn't have thought I was creative. Yeah, and it was very helpful to you that you were encouraged to be creative. You know, it's it's very interesting that that you look at. Let's look at when we're in like early in school, and so this thing happens that's nobody. You know, people mean well, and there's nothing. But but for instance, so, so say I'm you know I'm in sixth grade and I'm at recess, and I love I'm just moving my body and I'm spinning around and just feeling my body in space, and then you know. If someone sees it, an old teacher comes over and goes, boy, you know, you're so agile. You know, you might want to become a dancer. Or if I'm, you know, I'm out in the playground and I'm just la, la, lying to myself. And then someone says, oh, you, what a nice voice you have. You, you might want to become a singer, you know, or like just thinking of Heather in the last segment. So you're like, you know, you're like having your hands in the dirt and says, someone says, yeah, you know, you could become a gardener. Well, there's nothing wrong with becoming these things but the 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 problem that that is that then we attach our worth to the becoming and not the being so you know the 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 aliveness resides in staying a verb and not becoming a noun that you don't have you know if you like to move then just move you don't have to become anything you may be a dancer you know, if you like to have your hands in the earth, just put your hands in the earth. If you like to sing, sing. And and so there's nothing wrong with But what happens then along the way is that, which I experienced as a young writer, well, then, you know, when am I when am I really a poet? Is it when I'm published? Is it when I read in public? Is it and if I'm published, how many do I have to have published to? And it's none of that. If I express my heart, I'm a poet whether anyone hears it or not. If I, That's whether, so great. Whether, I, you know, whether I have a record or not, I don't have to wait for some bar to cross. If I, if singing, if it comes out of my heart, I'm a singer. That's it. Right, so but, it's not, it's not the getting there. It, it's the, it's the journey, right? It's not that, oh, like you were saying, when am I gonna be a poet? I have to do yeah, this, this, and this. Right. And so this leads to, there's a chapter in the book you may have probably read, read already about giving attention and getting attention. And so yes. this is one of the, the paradoxes too. You know, we all know in the world, in the outer world, we're all taught, well, to get ahead, you need to get attention. You know, even if I want to go for a job, I have to give a resume, I have to present myself. Of course, there's nothing wrong with that. But if, if, all my, if my worth is centered on getting attention, it'll never be enough. And the real thing is, so when I think back, you know, there were two ways that I started writing as a young person. One, really, really young, was that it was wonder, you know, I would be out in nature or whatever, and and I'd just have a moment where an extra real moment, and I would try, and then it would start to vanish. And I started to write to keep the wonder in view longer. Wait, wait, don't go away. Wait. (laughs) 
The other was, you know, a little older when I was in high school, you know, and the first woman I fell in love dumped me and broke my heart, which everyone goes through. Well, then, you know, in order to try to understand what was going on in me, I didn't have, I had lots of acquaintances, but I didn't have any real friend, true friends until college. You know, I wasn't a loner in high school, but I hadn't, I didn't really know yet what friendship really, depth of friendship was. So I started writing as a way to move through that. And I discovered as I started to heal myself, I wasn't just talking to myself. I had started a conversation with life. And so just kept that, that conversation going. So, you know, it's giving attention that brings us alive, not getting attention. So, So, yeah, go ahead. No, I was going to say, so your art exists, you know, for the joy of, of doing it. So even if no one appreciates it or sees it, you're an artist. Well, you know, it doesn't matter. a, A wildflower doesn't wait for an audience to bloom. Right. <laughs> That's yeah. right. So you shouldn't yeah. judge yourself, you know, if, if if whatever you write doesn't get published or you're you're still you can still be a poet. You can yeah, still be and I an think artist. The th- you know, there's nothing wrong with wanting to get published, you know. Sure. But but the essence of of our creativity is not defined externally. It's defined by how authentic, how true it is, and how it brings us alive. That's well, what I love what you're is. saying here. It's so valuable, and I, and I hope people really get that because, you know, over the years, uh, I spent a lot of time um, at a, another network where people would call in, and, you know, so many people called in and wanted to live their passion, and they were so unhappy with the life that they had right now, and they, they felt they had to do more, and but that needed validation, like you're saying, like, these people could be living a creative life, but they had a fear of really taking that step to explore that or, or do something like that because they felt it had to have the end game. You know, you had to well, have the book deal or. Yeah. So this, this, you know, uh, this opens painting. up to a, to, to a paradox, to, to something that everyone alive has to uh, face, learn from and negotiate. And that is every human being has to both survive and thrive and they are they require different skills and sometimes you know they might overlap but you know often what we need to do to survive in the world is one thing but then there's another question the deeper question is in order of thriving in what environment will my soul most come alive and so I can do anything. I can work at anything to survive if I feed my soul. Right. And we shouldn't deny that, right? I mean, if you have to make a living and you're driving a bus or whatever you're doing, and then you want to sing. And so at night you, you sing in a choir or you meet with friends and you just sing at home or something like that. As long as you're feeding that passion and that part of yourself, then, then you'll be able to live fully, right? Well, no matter yeah, what you're not, doing right. for a living. There's, no, there's nothing wrong with, you know, wanting to, if you know, become these things or do these things. I mean, I'm so grateful to have the books published that I, that I have. But, you know, especially after I almost died from cancer, it was very clear to me 
that I was not doing, I wanted to be published, but I wasn't doing it to be published. Right. And I was disappointed if someone rejected something or this or that. But that's all out in the world. That's in the outer world. The reason I was writing and inquiring and doing any of this was so that I could be as fully alive as possible and, and not, not miss this life. So that, that doesn't mean we're been... exempt from disappointments, or, but we even hold those disappointments differently if we're feeding our soul. Sure. And then going through the experience that you went that you went through, I mean, that must have been, I can only imagine, and being so young at 30 to have a life-threatening diagnosis like you did, I mean, certainly turns your whole world perspective upside down where you, you really well, know what's and, important. And I think that, you know, what I've come to understand is that in my case, it was cancer, but, you know, it doesn't even have to be difficult or catastrophic, that every person alive will be given the chance to be dropped into the depth of life. It could be by surprise or wonder or beauty or being seen completely for the first time. And it can be from life-threatening situations or losing a relationship or a loved one or a job or a dream. But the thing is that, you know, it's important that we work toward our dreams, but often they don't come true. But in giving our all to our dreams, sometimes we come true, and that's more important. Yes, that, that's such a great takeaway. And you, you go into this, um, you know, a lot deeper in the chapter, Living a Making. I love that title. <laughs> 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 Not making a living, living a making. But it's, yeah. it's such an important, important lesson for, for people to hear because we do put so much emphasis on success and achievement and acquiring and accumulating and consuming that, uh, you know, sometimes that veil that you talked about will, will come over us and we can, you know, get depressed and and miss out on, on the great gift of creating. Well, in the human, you know, the human journey, we will, we will experience the full range of the mystery of being human. We will be sad. We will be hurt. We will feel disappointment, loss, as well as wonder, beauty. And when we can have that channel open between us and the rest of life, those feelings will deepen our experience and not cripple us. They, they, certainly they will be difficult, but we often in the modern world fear feeling when feeling the world of feeling is the only way that we access the full, the full vitality of life. Right. The good and the bad. We, we yes, have to feel both, both bad. equally, right? Yes. Yes. We need, you know, and, and it's, it's interesting because you take, take, you know, that, that life presents itself in its wholeness, its unity. So take water, here's a metaphor, take water, you know, water, we all learn at an early age is made of hydrogen and oxygen, H2O. Well, you give me a glass of water, I'm thirsty. I can't say to you, I'd only like the hydrogen, please. Because even if you could separate it out, it would no longer be water and it would no longer be quenching. And so life is only quenching, the water of life is only quenching because of its wholeness and the mystery of its unity. It's good, it's bad, it's difficult, it's easy, it's, it's clear, it's doubtful, 
it's pain, it's peace. And our job is to drink from, from the life-giving part of all of that. And we need each other to do that. I think that life has been made just difficult enough that we need each other to ensure the journey of love. Right, and not push people away, which I think some, some people tend to fall into that, that trap as well. Oh, yeah, very and, much so, yeah. And I wanted to ask you, I love talking about intuition, and you mentioned this in the book, and you say that you believe intuition is divinely inspired. And I've really been trying to pay attention to my intuition, and sometimes I I try to talk to myself, to my higher self, and mostly I say, I'm listening, tell me what to do. <laughs> and sometimes yeah. I get answers, and, so let, and sometimes I don't. Yeah, so but I just wanted to see what you thought about that. Yeah, so let's talk about intuition, try to end divine, and let's try to talk about it in terms that we could, anyone, we could just get our hands on, and, and, and as the way I, I experience it, because, you know, anything I offer is just an example, not an instruction, and um, so what I mean by that, for me, is that, you know, let's start with the word trust, literally means to follow your heart. So intu intuition is when, when I am caught, you know, when we're out on a walk and all of a sudden the light comes through a the part of a tree and it hits the throat of a bird and somehow I happen to see it and it opens something for me and now I follow that. That's intuition leading me and then that might lead me to something else and to allow life to lead me to the lighted moments that are inexplicable. So that so I can't rationally say, well, I'm going to walk in front of that oak tree at 4:52, and hopefully I'll see that light on the bird's throat. That doesn't work that way. So intuition allows us to follow our heart and discover how life is connected and how we are connected to life. So that's different than the rational mind. The rational mind's a great tool. But the heart moves from essence to essence. You know, uh, William Blake, one of his aphorisms was, straight is the road to improvement, but crooked is the road to genius. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> crooked is the road to genius. And, and when you talk and, about, yes. you know, listening from your heart, can, mm -hmm. you, can you make that kind of real? Because I think people just consider the heart as just the the organ that we see pumping blood. Well, but it's more than so, that, right? You know, so for me, what it means to listen with my heart is to slow down and be present. So that means I stop and I don't just see what's in front of me. I'm present enough so I feel it. Then I'm interacting with it. Then I start to be in conversation with it. You know? Right. So, so take my dog who's right here. You know, I can be busy. I can be late. I can run right by her, say hi, pet her on the head. I gotta go. And but but and I remember what she means to me. But when I stop, hold her head and look her in the eye. No, no, that's different. That's different. 
This is one of the things right. that always, you know, I, I talk, sometimes I, I speak at medical schools or, and, and things given my cancer experience. And, you know, I'm often, you know, I often hear residents saying, well, we don't have time. You know, we're saving people's lives. We don't have time to be touchy feely, you know. Um, and I say, it's not a matter of time. If I'm in a hospital bed and you come in, it'll take you 30 seconds to look me in the eye and hold my hand as 30 seconds that you were looking at the chart and not looking at me. And that will not only be part of the medicine for me, but it'll be part of the teaching for the healer. So that's right. how we be present with our heart. Whenever we're stuck or confused or feel disconnected, since the miracle is everywhere, just stop and give our full attention to whatever is before us until it starts to speak to us. That's such a great lesson and just something that I've personally been trying to work on myself. I mean, I even called this radio show Be Present, the Diane Ray Show, just oh. as kind of a reminder to myself to be present um, as as often as I can. And it's funny, my husband always makes fun of me because he says I have parking issues because I always want to know where we're going to park. And whenever we go somewhere, I'll say, well, where are we going to park? He's like, we haven't even gotten in the car yet. Why are you worried about where we're going to park? <laughs> so I'm not being, <laughs> because I'm not being present. And it could be also because in Southern California, there's never anywhere to park. So I'm always no, but, you anxious know, we, about we, that. <laughs> we, all, we all do that. We all do that. Yeah. And, I think, I, and I think at least I know in me where it comes from, which I don't think is unusual. When we're afraid... We feel like we can protect ourselves if we can at least think we know what's going to happen next. And we can't. Exactly. I mean, preparation is fine, but preparation, you know, it was Winston Churchill said, planning is essential, but plans are useless. So, so I can prepare, but when I over-prepare, that's because I'm feeding, I'm trying to calm my fear rather than get more deeply accustomed to the unknown. The unknown isn't always catastrophic. The unknown holds wonder and beauty and surprise. So, you know, we're, we're, we're not, um, you have to increase our, our experience of the unknown so we're more comfortable with it. Right, right. No, I agree totally. And, and it's, it's a lesson. It's a lesson to learn. You One just second, have to remind yourself. Your dog wants you to be present with you right now. I'm back. I'm back. Okay. My dog was did he want to? Did he want a treat? Uh, no, no, my wife came home, so she's beside herself, running to the door to get to her. I had to let her oh, out. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, I mean, we just have a, a few minutes, and I so appreciate you spending this time with me. It's funny here in my little office here, where while I'm doing the show, and we are live, folks. So dogs will bark, and sometimes my cats come in and meow, <laughs> you know, because they want to eat. And he and he, my one cat's kind of Siamese, and he has one of those loud, weird meows, like a howl. And it's, it's, sometimes it's frightening. People have said, "Is that a baby crying?" Like, no, it's just <laughs> a cat. You know. But they uh, they demand your attention. And pets are so great because I think they help you to, you know, really be present in the moment. And it's a lesson. Like I look at my cat and and he doesn't care if he sleeps 12 hours. And he's just being a cat. You know, he's just being right. in that moment of being doing what he does. And he's not worried about the next thing. 
So I, I, I try to use that as a lesson too. It's, it's a great, it's a great reminder. <laughs> so pets are wonderful. And I'm glad that, that your dog could join us. And what, what was your dog's name? <laughs> Zuzu. Or what is his name? Zuzu. Okay. Zuzu. She, yeah. Yeah. Her name's Zuzu, she. which comes from like, uh, the old Jimmy Stewart movie. It's a wonderful life. His daughter in that the character, the youngest daughter, was named Zuzu. Right, Zuzu's petals he finds yep, in his exactly. pockets. Yep, yeah. And the and the angel gets his wings. That's, that's right. <laughs> I've seen that movie so many times. That's one of my my personal holiday favorites. And my other holiday favorite is A Christmas Carol, but it has to be Alistair Sim, the 1951 version. That's my favorite. Oh. It's the only one. That's the best. It's the best one. And they say that's the darkest version because he was the the darkest Scrooge. But every year I watch it just to see him dance around in glee when it's Christmas because I love his transformation at the end. It's oh, I think it's just yeah. it's yeah. such a great lesson, isn't it? <laughs> well, it's been so amazing to talk with you, Mark. And I mean, I could just dig in more into the book, but I really hope that people pick this up. We're just about running out of time, but I do want people to go to your site. It's marknepo, N-E-P-O.com. Find out about your upcoming events and the other things that you've got going on. And congratulations on the upcoming 20th anniversary of the Book of oh. Awakening. I look forward to reading that as well. Thank you. It's been great to be with you. And thanks for uh, letting me be a part of your good work. Thank you for listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Hi, I'm Jane Asher, and I believe, and from what I've been shown, that when our loved ones die, they don't really leave. They just slip into the next room. On my podcast, I explore the bigger picture surrounding life on Earth, and what follows when we do die. I speak with authors, friends, transition specialists, and other experts about every facet of death, dying, grief, hospice care, cultural traditions, and also our beliefs about that final journey and what we may end up facing. Please join me on the next room on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network or wherever you get your podcasts.